The Dig Podcast is back. I am your host, Caroline O'Neill, and it's an absolute honour and a privilege to bring you some of the most inspirational stories and guests on The Dig Podcast. And not only are they inspirational, but they're also actionable, which is probably most important. We want to be able to take small steps every day in our businesses and in our lives to improve things to make things better, to de-stress when it comes to thinking about our work and life. Will that ever happen? I don't know. But we need to believe that listening to people who have been through it all, walked the walk and are able to share their experiences will help us. And I absolutely believe that. So get ready for another inspirational, actionable guest on The Dig Podcast. Today on The Dig Podcast, I am speaking to Sinead Brady, who is a career psychologist. Have you ever heard of a career psychologist? I had not until friends of mine actually said, "Have you? do you follow this girl, Sinead Brady online? She's unreal. And of course, that's all I need to hear. I went and started to follow Sinead. And ever since, I've been intrigued by it all. The psychology of being in a career. Now, it's so much more than that. It's all about how we're conditioned from we're younger, really, because Sinead and I were just speaking before we got on the call and we had a great conversation about it. But who is Sinead? Sinead, she'll, she'll give herself her own introduction, but she's a best-selling author of Total Reset, which I know you're all going to be going and looking up after this podcast, but she helps people in the world of work. She's all about the future of work. And we talked about that before we came on the call. Friction-free flexibility. What does that even mean? Managing boundaries, which is what we're definitely going to focus on today between work and home life. Can you really manage those boundaries? Sinead's going to help us. Um, cognitive triggers. Um, she's all about equality and inclusion uh, and so much more. I couldn't even get into all the things that she covers. But when I was looking through all the socials before um, we came online, Sinead puts up things sometimes that just actually make you really stop and think like you can do anything, but not everything. And that's definitely a stage that I'm at at the minute where I, I, I find it hard to do everything. And I know a lot of people listening will be the same. So I know she's going to help you so, so much today. This is part of the business clinic series and the Dig podcast. So we're going to be giving actionable advice to help you in your career, in your world of work, in your business. So stay tuned. This is going to be jam packed. Sinead is so engaging to listen to. I know you're going to love her. So welcome to the Dig podcast, Sinead. Thanks a million, Carolyn. I should have you introduce me every morning before I start work. That's like I would find that. I would find that an honour to introduce you every morning. So um, I, I just, you were saying that you were in Ireland AM yesterday. So you're really, really busy doing lots of media. So to have you on the Dig podcast is is an honour today. And I don't take it for yeah. granted that you said yes. Um, but thank you so much. So Sinead, tell us a wee bit now. I know we talked before, but just for people who are listening, how this has happened where you are a career psychologist. So, yeah, I have kind of, I suppose, a bit of a curvy career is what I call it, um, non-linear. So it didn't kind of, wasn't a decision that happened at 17 and ended up where I am today. So it's the 21st anniversary of my 21st this year. So um, I've been a while in the in the world of work. And so I started off life um, as a barrister because I thought I wanted to be Ali McBeal and that didn't quite work out for me um I, I just didn't enjoy it so I qualified it but never practiced moved into the world of education spent 15 years in the world of education and then towards the end of my time in the world of education and um, where I worked as a career guidance counsellor I seen that you know there was really a much bigger need for the application of psychology to the world of work and careers and helping our young people. So I went and I got my um, psychology qualification through Queen's University and subsequently master's and began PhD studies, which I have now paused um, 
because like many people listening to this, I live my life through a series of ands and they all converge within me. So I'm a mom of four, I'm a business owner, I'm a partner. Um, I also like to get out and do things for myself. Um, so you're trying all of the time to balance or to find a way of living life as well as working while keeping all those ands content within me just during this season of my life. So um, four kids, different age profiles, different stages. So we have a two-year-old, a four-year-old, a nine-year-old, a nine-and-a-half-year-old, and an 11-year-old. And the two older ones are actually with me in Ireland AM yesterday. So they came along to see, you know, the whole chat and whatever else and just get a, a feel for it. But, um, yeah, so I live my life through a series of ands, the education piece, the world of work. So I've been practicing in this area um, as a sole practitioner since 2015. And before the world of work and careers was kind of like, a TikToker, an Instagram sensation, um, wasn't fashionable. Um, but I really felt that there was a space that needed to help people because we are operating in this world of work that puts us under so much pressure, Caroline. Um, and we just don't simply have the skills to cope. Um, we have, I don't know if you were thought, but I know I certainly wasn't, um, how to manage my career, how to manage and navigate the world of work but not alone that how do you navigate and negotiate a pay rise or how do you navigate and negotiate contracts or you know all of these really practical things that actually happen um alongside your career um and how careers are not linear anymore like they just don't start at 17 and finish at 65 with a watch and a bunch of flowers and you know nothing changes really in between so i've a real like you talk about friction-free flexibility it's like how do we access the policies the ideas without friction so how do we reduce the amount of friction between the idea and the practice that's really important to me um how do we learn to switch on from work and off from work again something that's really really important and then how do we manage our careers and our work during different seasons of life because we have different seasons of life like you were chatting to me about just before you know about your the season of life that you're currently in and how you're trying you've got different ands operational and that impacts your career it impacts the decisions you make about work so that's really where I have, you know, um, and it's applying evidence-based psychology that is grounded in research from the experience of the world of work currently. Yes. And, and that's really important to me. Because you told me that the research that has been done kind of to date has is so outdated because it's based on years ago, whenever, yeah. and they were taking that as the research and applying it to us. And that's not it anymore life is so different and futuristic and modern now yeah absolutely like if you think about it a lot of the research that our current world of work is built on designed upon is actually from the 1950s and the demographic that that research was done in yes it was representative at the time but the world of work has so fundamentally changed since 1950 I mean in 1950 in you know a lot of women who were in the world of work were statutory, statutorily obliged to leave their job once they were married. So it's just incredible. Um, and at the time, actually, in the States, a lot of women were interviewed if their husband was going for a promotion to see if they would be willing to have the extra time in caregiving roles to facilitate them in the world of work. So the research that was done was done in 1950s, for the most part, on a demographic of white industrialized, educated, rich, democratic men out of six postcodes in the States. So, and those people represent about 4.6% of the global population, 
which means the world of work that we currently work in is designed upon the minority and just doesn't suit the experience, the lived experience of the majority of us in the world of work now, because we have dual income homes, we have, you know, the notion of, um, again, the nuclear family is just, it's just not there. So we have um, people who are choosing not to have children. We have people who are choosing not to get married. We have people that are choosing to go into self-employment, which again, in 1950s just wasn't happening. So we have a, like, it's so different. It's so different. Um, and I'll give you a link actually to a really brilliant video even um, from Harvard that shows the evolution of the office from 1980 right the way through to, I think, about 2002. But in those 22 years, it's just amazing. And what has since happened? I mean, it's unrecognisable. So, yeah. I know. And with that, with that change, and I'm sure people have always worked hard, but we seem to be working harder. But is it just there's more challenges in life? I don't know, but we're going to talk to you about that. But I know for me, and I would say 90% of the people listening to this podcast, they're working harder than they've ever worked before. And they're feeling more frazzled. And even though we COVID and we said we were going to reevaluate how we did our lives and we weren't going to work as hard, we are. We're back in the cycle and we're working harder than ever. Yeah. So I personally, and I'm going to put myself in the position of the podcast listeners because I feel like we're all on the same level as such. Why are we working so hard? Why do we work so hard? So there's a couple of answers to that. The first one is, up until about 1970, you couldn't bring your work home with you. Now you can do, like there's more power in this phone than there was on the first rocket that went to space. So this is more powerful than that. So now we're sitting and we have this powerful way of collapsing the boundaries between life and work. And they've crashed and they've, you know, developed into this like boundaryless space, which gives us opportunity. But also in that opportunity, we have these issues. And one of the issues that we're kind of talking about is this inability to switch off from work. We're working harder and we're working longer. And while these kind of technology facilitates us to be smarter with our work, it is also pushing the boundaries of work and life into a space that we never thought possible. But here's the really interesting thing that we don't think about very often. But when you send or when your four-year-old goes into traditional education or five-year-old, whatever the age might be, they go to school and it's kind of just accepted that they will have homework to do at the end of the school day. And what we are doing in that is training our four-year-olds from the time they enter formal education right the way up to the time they leave formal education that you work all day in a particular location, you do all of the work that's required of you, you come home and you do more work. So we are training through our education system, through this really, really persuasive and silent building of workaholics, because our education system feeds our economy, we're actually teaching our children, and we were taught to be workaholics. So you come home, you don't switch off when you come home, you sit up at the kitchen table and you do more work. And you stay at that homework, you know, you get to 17, 18 and your exams, and you could be, maybe it could be nine o'clock when you're finishing. And at the same time, you're meant to do the horse riding and the football and the swimming and all of these extra things. So we actually are teaching our kids to be switched on all of the time. So as adults, is it any surprise that we're doing the same? No. And when you're, no, I, I'm traumatized by this because I, mm. do you ever get in trouble for your talk? I mean, I'm sure there's lots of people in the education system are probably not liking this language that you're using. I don't know, Sinead, but I mean, 
I that empowers me to be a better parent too, to make them feel freer in the evenings. I know we're talking about kids here, but actually the psychology element is coming through to me here. And I told this story recently at an event that I was at. Somebody asked me, how come you are the way you are? Because I have, I am definitely, like you've said, never switch off, always working, you know, 12 o'clock at night. Da, da, da. And it does come from, I think, my daddy always didn't let me, let us as a family, when you came home, you started your new work and, you know, you never sat even on a Saturday. We always have this running joke when anybody walks into our house, they say, where's daddy? Because we want to, we want to understand who we are in that moment. Are we really busy? And that's the psychology thing. And I'm only starting to realize that now. And it's not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. I love my daddy and he's taught me all the great goals and work and life and all. But he was trained that way. Like when he was getting married, he was putting his, um, like, uh, planting potatoes that morning before he went to the chapel yeah. they were ingrained to work all the time so yeah. we can't blame ourselves too much it is how we were brought up like you said yeah let's, absolutely maybe let's try to change it for our kids but you're going to help us with that so we are in this space now just to bring it back where we're working really hard but now it's coming to for example if you're listening to this in t- real time we're coming into the summer holidays and people are booking holidays and stuff but we're finding Sinead so hard to switch off I know I do can you help us what do we want to do yeah, it's really hard. And this is the thing. And, you know, sometimes, despite I knowing all of this, sometimes I flounder as well. So it's not that this is a one and done thing. Um, this is about practice. It's a skill. And it is something that we have not. It's a skill we haven't been taught. So um, and that's through no fault, as you say, of our parents or but the system is so silent and so persuasive in teaching us. And it's no fault of the teachers either because they're in that system. So, yes, there is people don't always like um, what I'm saying, but I think we have to, our thoughts have to be challenged a little bit um, around how we live and operate in this reality and experience of life that we are currently in. And we need to use the evidence that's best available to us now. So sometimes I will pull my kids out of homework and I will say, you know what? We're not doing homework this evening. It's too nice outside. We didn't do homeschooling during COVID. And that was a very personal family experience. And it was one that we made based on our family circumstances so it may not be for everybody but I felt that you know the system was teaching our children during you know something that had never been experienced before to continue as normal but actually what we needed to do was to focus on how can we stay well how can we focus on our well-being? And I do think there was a massive opportunity missed globally in terms of that because we did try to continue as normal. And yes, some element of routine is important, but continuous as if nothing is happening is not always the best thing. So the reality is we're in this world of work that makes it possible for us to work 24-7, 365, but we're not operating systems. And we need to learn the skill of switching off. So I call these cognitive triggers. And the words that we would use in research is psychological bridges. So what they are is they're routines or rituals that we embed into our everyday practice that helps us to switch off from work and on. And we just call it non-work because, you know, it's a range of different things to different people. So it's a different experience for everybody. So you're switching from work to life activities or non-work activities. I don't really like the word non-work because it prioritizes work. I think life activities is, is more enriching. So what that means is that across the, coming into your summer holidays, it's not going to be easy to do it if you're not already practicing these rituals. You know, it's gonna feel like cold turkey or a complete detox, but it is something that you can begin coming into your holidays this year with the intention that by your holidays next year or by the October break or whenever you take your next 
break, that actually you will have built these skills so that there will be an improvement. You will have undone these years of conditioning and built the skill. So what is a psychological bridge or a cognitive trigger? It is giving permission to yourself. So it's activating your permission mindset. Again, it's something that I talk about a lot. We all know what a growth mindset is. We all know what a fixed mindset is. But the bridge between moving from fixed to growth is actually permission. It's taking the information you have and moving from thought to action. And your permission mindset facilitates that. So permission mindset is permission to yourself, from yourself, to question with curiosity the rules that we've always taken for granted. And if necessary, to break those rules. So when we live in this hustle culture, always on culture, it's like the more productive you are, the more you are doing, the more successful you are. Every last piece of research tells us that yes, it is important to be working with intention, but it is also important to rest, recover and recuperate within that. So your psychological bridges or your cognitive triggers are the routines that you use to help you to rest, recover and recuperate. And it involves activating your permission mindset. So, for example, we know the practical things that we should do going on holidays out of office, communicate with people to tell them that you're going to be out of office. Um, you know, it's all those different things. It's kind of maybe scheduling your social media because we know that if we don't stay on social media all of the time, the algorithm forgets us and that's an issue for reach and all that kind of stuff. So we're kind of encouraged by the algorithm to be always on as well. So the cognitive triggers are doing the practical stuff. And then it is saying, as you were doing your out of office, with intention, or I am putting this out of office in place because it is important to me that I rest, recover and recuperate. This is the first part of doing that. The second part is when I am on holidays, I will have a morning time routine, an afternoon routine and an evening routine that remind me that I am an annual leave. So in the morning, for example, you might listen to that podcast that you never would normally listen to, or you might put on like, I don't know, I was just chatting to some friends of mine and they were talking about, you know, the prodigy. <laughs> they love that music and they were, you know, that's actually what their cognitive routine was going to be on holidays. The prodigy was going to be on in the morning time in the in their villa or whatever. So pick music or a podcast or something that tells you that this is not work. Something different to what you do. And you say, I'm switching this on because I'm on holidays. I'm going to have the second coffee. I'm going to drink my coffee while it's hot. <laughs> yeah when does that ever happen <laughs> I, know, I know so um and it's really kind of it will be different for everybody because different things are meaningful to everybody the reason that you put three cognitive routines and cognitive triggers in place is because if you lapse you know and you happen to check the email or you happen to do something work-related it's not a full failure it's like okay so I made that mistake but I'm refocusing in the afternoon and I'm going to do my best not to do it between afternoon and evening. So you give yourself this opportunity that if you do it once and you kind of go into old habits, not all is lost. But you really practice those routines every day with intention. So you have the same morning time routine, the same afternoon routine and the same evening routine. And it is just this way of telling your brain that you are in annual leave mode, that you are on switch off mode. So you're teaching yourself three times per day, every day, that this is time for you and the loved ones that you are with. And if you do make a mistake, you have an opportunity to reset. 
because failure isn't final. It's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean that you should sit down for the next three hours and just work because you made one little blip. It's like, no, I'm going to refocus. I'm going to reset. And I'm going to go back into this then in the afternoon. Like I'm listening to you and I'm like, yes, this, and it is, it's about routines and habits, isn't it? But we're kind of drilled into us that in order to be really successful, you must never stop working, you know, and, and I guess it's old mindset as well. And I, I keep going back to my daddy because he's my role model in work, but he'd always say, oh, no man ever made anything by sitting down or no man ever made, he always says a man too, you know, <laughs> but I mean, he doesn't mean anything bad by it. It's just as no. like. Yeah, but I mean, I I guess when you're on holidays, it's about or on annual leave, knowing that everything isn't going to fall apart, or you're not going to not be successful because you've done this for yourself, right? In fact, actually, again, all of the research is telling us that when you rest, you bolster your physical well-being, your mental well-being, your mental health your career well-being and I talk a lot about career well-being because that's one thing that we don't talk about very much so you know your well-being is much more than yoga at lunchtime and bananas in a canteen you know and we have to really think about that in order to be the best version of yourself you must have breaks built into and those breaks facilitate recovery rest and recuperation and actually we know that when you do take intentional breaks you come back to work if that's your measure of success more innovative more creative better problem solver you know and actually your social connections with important people in your life are bolstered and that is one of the key indicators of well-being might notice a different feel to the podcast and that's because in the past I have traditionally allowed businesses and brands to pitch to you guys in the middle of the podcast so that was their way of giving all the best bits about their business and a great way to advertise for them but I feel now like it's my time to let you guys know what I've been using and um, both products and businesses that have helped me be a better person and I always say you can't separate normal life from business life what makes you a better person makes you a better business person so you're going to find a mix of everything you'll probably hear me talking about things that I enjoy with my family things that I personally enjoy and use and also businesses and products that are making my business better as well so a total mix but hand on heart recommendations from me to you that I know is going to help you as well and that's what it's all about um giving real life honest reviews so very exciting for the podcast delighted to have all the businesses involved that are on the journey ahead with me so today's episode is brought to you by wild and free and wild and free is like an irish outdoor brand and it's all about encouraging you to oh just get outdoors and it's just good for your mind and your overall well-being and i honestly have found that i have started to yeah life's so busy with work and all i want to do I'm doing all this for my family, but at the weekends, I just want to spend time with them. And we get outdoors, we get off the devices, but I want the kids to enjoy being outdoors with us, with me and Jared. So we have been going on day trips, we've been having staycations, and we've been wearing this lovely brand called Wild and Free. And Wild and Free was actually founded by Ashleen and Robbie, who have three kids, just like me. And they wanted to just switch off from working life as hectic. And they decided they want to get outdoors more, just like us. And they wanted to be wearing clothes that were easy and, you know, still felt stylish, but functional. And that's exactly when Wild and Free was born. 
it's like effortless and timeless. It's lovely hoodies and t-shirts and beanies and backpacks. And they also have this great um, part of their range called the cobe. So it's like the coat and the robe. Now, I am not a sea swimmer. So I don't wear it for that. But, you know, like nighttime walks when it's getting chilly. Um, I haven't worked to the football matches yet with the kids, but it would be great for that. School runs. But then also Jared loves to see swim. So he could throw his on when he comes out of the sea, as do the kids. So the Cobe is definitely an investment piece when you consider how many times you're going to wear it. But the it's like a unisex range. So I have a hoodie. Jared is the right neck jumper. Um, the kids have the Cobes. It's just, it's just lovely. And it's, easy to wear if you have to go out on a head out for dinner you can still wear your hoodies and still feel like stylish so I've been loving it we've been loving it and the team at Wild and Free have said they'll give everyone who listens to the Dig podcast an exclusive discount if they enter Dig 15 so you'll see me wearing it on my socials anyway if you're over there and yeah live your life wild and free is their motto and that's what I intend to do follow them on Instagram at Wild and Free Outdoor and join the Wild Tribe community now it's back to the dig podcast the stronger your social connections are with important people in your life the better able you are to manage stress the better able you are to engage with issues as they come to you so whether you're in a a job or whether you are self-employed so whether you're employed or self-employed they're key metrics for success in the paid workplace and having those breaks actually facilitates those. So there's four different. So so what happens is there's a neurotransmitter released within your body when you take a break. It releases a neurotransmitter called dopamine. That dopamine helps you to. It, 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 it sends the message to your body that you are in rest mode. And when you are in rest mode, your body begins to repair itself, both physically and psychologically. So. If you can activate your permission mindset and say, you know, I give myself permission to rest because it is important to me for the relationships that I have, but also for my relationship with work. It helps me to be better in the workplace, but it also helps me to be a better partner, a better friend, a better parent, you know, um, and a better colleague. Then you can begin to see, and the evidence tells us this. We know this from research that is in the last 14 or 15 years. Um, And it's really important. So I was working with a large financial firm in in uh, London and the CFO was really struggling with high turnover on his team. And um, he, he just couldn't figure it out. And he said to me, look, a friend has recommended, would you come in and have a chat? So we did all the chatting and whatever else. And what I discovered was, I said, look, we have all the policies, we have everything in place. And he said, but I still have high turnover and I just don't know what to do. So friction-free flexibility was the first thing that we spoke about. And I said, look, there's a friction between your actions, the policies that you have available and what you're telling their team, your team, they have a sense of entitlement to. And he was like, what do you mean? You know, how can I measure this? I was like, we can't measure this until we, we see changes in behavior. So I said to him, I can't say to you, do this, this and this, and you will have less turnover. But what I can tell you is, if your behavior changes, the friction between the policy that you have in place and what you your people feel a sense of entitlement to access in those policies will change. And I said, I think that will change the rate of turnover because on exit interviews, everybody talks about how kind you are, how brilliant you are as a leader, but they all also talk about the hours that you put in. And they all talk about the fact that you're there in the morning early, you're there late at night, you send emails, you know, at all these different times and they feel 
that they have to do the same in order to be successful. So I said, we need to work on your non-negotiables. They're your three pillars of success, your physical non-negotiables, your personal non-negotiables, sorry, your physical. See, I still make the mistake sometimes. It's a Freudian slip. It's your physical non-negotiables, your personal non-negotiables, and then your professional non-negotiables. He didn't want to communicate this with the team. In fact, he didn't want to talk to me for about four weeks after I said this to him. <laughs> so he came back to me eventually. I said, go talk to other people if you want, but come back to me if you're, if you're still in. So we did. And we put two small behaviours in place across the course of, and this story is in more detail in the book, but we put a couple of small things in place. And one of them was that every day he would take lunch. That was it. He would physically get up from his desk and leave the office and go for lunch. And three days per week, he would take his gym bag with him and leave an hour before lunch and go to the gym. Suddenly people began to come in and avail of the flexi time that they had spoken about. People began to take their lunch and within six months, his turnover rate had reduced. Wow. So that was success. And, and, and his health benefited, his relationships with his partner benefited. Um, so it was just these small human shifts that make us realize, well, you know, I'm not an operating system. I do need rest. I do need recovery. And when I do, not alone am I better at what I do myself, but I'm a better person to be around. Um, I'm healthier. We know again that, you know, the more we work and the more stress we're exposed to, and the higher the levels of cortisol are in our systems, which is a key indicator of cardiac disease down the line and cardiovascular diseases. Again, I'm not an expert in these areas, but I can you know, I can point you to the people that are, that are telling us this stuff. So I'm not speaking out of my area of expertise, but I'm speaking to related areas of expertise and, and people in this area. So it's not a scaremonger and it's not to say you're broken and you need to be fixed. You don't. We have a flawed system in place um, and we've been conditioned to work in a particular way within that flawed system. So this requires activating your permission mindset. It requires putting these cognitive triggers or the psychological bridges in place um, for your holidays. But outside of your annual leave or outside of your holidays, it's having those cognitive triggers at the beginning of the day and the end of your workday so that you bridge the gap between work and life or work and non or work and non-work activities. So, for example, your cognitive switch on, most people can switch on to work really easily. I don't know if you can identify with that, Caroline. The problem is switching off. So that cognitive, but it's important to have the routine in the morning as well. So maybe your routine in the morning is currently, I'm guessing, it might be, checking emails it might be kind of rushing out the door first thing in the morning it's socials and emails and then it's maybe grabbing a coffee and getting out the door as quick as possible hoping that one of the kids won't undress themselves in the middle of you trying to do it or you know decide to do their makeup with your makeup or you know whatever might be happening so um that's a cognitive routine that we have but what i would suggest to people is if you can have that cognitive routine whereby instead of going to your phone first thing you go to your phone second thing. Um, so rather than the first type of light that you get into your vasovagal system being blue light from the phone, you actually go and open up your curtains first and look at the natural light from outside. And if you can, take your phone in your hand and get outside, walk around your backyard, open the window and let that light into your system. If you do that one thing, that one change, it is massive because it is a trigger for your brain to release the hormones that you need for sleep 12 hours later. Okay. So it's just one really simple change. 
can be massive. And if you don't want to leave the phone out, bring the phone with you. That's okay. Then check your phone over your coffee if that's what you need to do. So I'm not saying to you don't check your phone. I'm just saying make it your second priority in the morning. And then as you get out the door um, and maybe you've got the drop off done or you've got whatever the caring responsibilities that you have completed, if you have them, um, then make sure that you kind of have a routine for switching on to work. So it might be really important to you to listen to the news headlines. It might be really important to you, you know, whatever that is, but have a particular routine around that. Headphones in, listen to the, you know, pick up on a phone call or whatever it is. When you are on your way home from work, whether you take public transport or whether you're in your car or, you know, your walk as a commuter, your commute as a walk, sorry. Again, try and keep the phone out of your eyes if you can and have a three-step routine on your way home so make it a podcast or listen to a show on the radio that you or music that signifies to you you're in you're in transition mode so for example first thing in the morning I cannot listen to anything funny because I just am not able to cope with it it has to be more serious <laughs> but in the evening time I can listen to something funny I like humor and I like liveliness at that time of the evening try not to make it a phone call related to work because if you're on your way home and you're in the car and or you're on you know public transport or whatever you're doing and that phone call is work related you're trying to get that last bit of work squeezed in before you get home get out of the car you get into the house and you're like don't touch me don't look at me you just you're still triggered your senses all of your sense sensory system is triggered even for the last 15 minutes of your commute, if you can begin to think about the transition from work to home, something funny works really well because you come in the door and then you've got something different to talk about than work. You're like, I just listened to this on a podcast and it is hilarious. And was I telling you about this or whatever? Wash your hands from the wrist up in cold running water. Brilliant with anybody who's feeling anxious or calms the entire vasovagal system. That's a brilliant cognitive triggers routine. That's it. And all the time you're saying, I'm giving myself permission to switch off from work and on to life outside of work. That's, they're two simple cognitive triggers routines that you can practice every day. And then when it comes to your holidays, your three cognitive, your three different routines at the different stages of your day are just an extension of that. But you've been practicing for the whole year. Oh my God, I have a lot of work to do. Do you know what? It's small. Think big and act small, Caroline. I so, know. And it's, you know, like I feel so bad when I'm listening to you at the type of person I am. And I know you're going to say, don't feel bad. But I mean, I am, I am molding my children and my husband because of my behaviors. Like I do that. So I'm like, right, I'm getting in the car now. That's a good chance for me to call. Da, 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 da. And then when I get in, I'm all frazzled and they're trying to ask me what's for dinner. And I'm, I'm snapping at them. And, and uh, maybe people, hopefully people are listening. I'm not the only one, but that's. No, I do it that's the way my day goes and then you know in the morning I'm very bad at looking at my phone and somebody's emailed me and I'm like oh oh and then I'm right back to them and then they're shouting at me and they're saying where's my shoes and I'm shouting at them because they can't find their shoes when really I should be focusing on their wee tasks and I feel so bad even listening to you I'm like oh well it is, see this is the thing we've been so conditioned to work at home like work 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 so to work as if we don't have a life and then to live life if we don't work um we feel bad and we feel like we're broken or something needs to be fixed and 
the reality is nobody is broken and nobody needs to be fixed but it's about learning the skills that we have never been taught and we haven't been taught those skills to cope with our current reality so yes like and, and it's to acknowledge that because if you say to yourself like I feel bad and then you go shouldn't feel bad shouldn't feel bad I shouldn't feel bad you're actually the messages that's going from your brain to your body are in conflict so it's about saying I actually feel bad about this I don't like this this is something I would like to change and I'm giving myself permission to change it so it's just acknowledging even because you become more stressed you know we were told if you're stressed just act as if you have it all nailed you don't feel the stress you know nobody needs to know you're stressed but you're denying the information your brain is sending your body and your body is sending your brain they're not aligned so actually it's it's about saying i feel stressed i feel bad about this this is a behavior i would like to change in 6 weeks time this is what i would like to see different and then it's one small habit every day that's what mine is from listening to this podcast and everybody's going to take away different things mine has to be the morning thing the minute i open my eyes Sinead, i lift my phone and yep. i check my emails because i'm like i've sent the late night email that i'm wondering have has the person seen i've sent the email the day before that i'm waiting on a response on and i'm waiting and i'm waiting and that'll plan my day out based on how my emails are and that's all in my head but in my what what's also going on in the dynamics of my house is tess is shouting for me to get her out of the cot the boys are saying what's for breakfast i'm thinking they're really annoying me because i'm trying to work here and and that's that i know you're saying we're not but I feel so bad about that. So I'm going to try after this podcast to put that in place. And it's because, do you know what it is? I suppose my work, especially, and most people's work is online because they're emails, 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 emails. And my mom said to me the other day, she was going to America and she said, I hate the thought of the flight. And I said, oh my God, I would love that because nobody could get me. Mm-hmm. I could be on the air for eight. Now you can get Wi-Fi and all, apparently I haven't flown in so long. Yeah. Um, like I said, imagine nobody being able to get you for eight whole hours. I was like, that's like heaven. And I didn't mean my children. I would love my children to be beside me on the plane. I meant work couldn't get yeah. me. Nobody could get me. And she was like, oh, I never thought about it like that. She's obviously at a different stage of her life. But I, that's what I crave is just that space and time to, like you said, recuperate. What's three words? Yeah. Recuperate. Rest, recover and recuperate. Rest, recover and recuperate. Just if, even if it's that them two hours in the morning. So that's what I'm going to take from you. And I'm not even talking about annual leave yet. I'm talking about daily habits that can help yeah. me. Um, and, the one, and the other thing not to cut across you is, again, I keep saying, to, you know, you make that decision to do that. But check in with yourself every Thursday. I call it tactical Thursday. So with your coffee or whatever it is that you like to drink, at like around 10 o'clock or your morning break on a, on Thursday, um, you ask yourself five key questions. What went well this week? Where was the struggle? Who could I have asked for help? What was within my control? And what is the smallest thing I can do differently next week to improve on this week? So even if it hasn't gone perfectly, you're just checking in with yourself every Thursday and going, okay, so actually that didn't go well. I woke up the other morning and I was thinking about that email that I'd sent the previous day. So what could I have done differently? What could have made a difference? Could I actually, if I switched my phone off instead of put it on sleep mode, that's the smallest thing I could have done differently because turning it on reminds me that I've made a promise to myself that I'm actually going to get bright light in my eyes rather than my phone first thing in the morning. 
So that tactical Thursday is really powerful. And I'll, I'll send you the questions or I have a short video actually on the tactical Thursday. But it really works because it means nothing gets so out of control that you can't bring it back within your control um, on a weekly basis. I know. And we're all human now. Like you said, start, we're conditioned from we were born to be like this. So yeah. it's going to take time to change and we can't be right. hard on ourselves, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? And if you are hard on yourself, you go, I'm being hard on myself because this is what I've been taught. I'm trying to change this and it's not going to be easy, but I choose the change. And that language is really powerful rather than saying I'm useless because I'm, I'm finding this hard. You're going, yes, I am finding this hard and that's okay but I'm choosing to change. So, yeah. You're on re- Is there anything else that we've missed there in that wee section of switching off on annual leave that you want to add? Or have we covered all the key things there? I think we've covered a lot of the key things, but, you know, switching off from annual leave just all at once is not something that's that realistic. It's a habit that you build over time. So start practicing from as soon as you can do your best on annual leave this year and be in the frame of mind for it to be much better this time next year. Okay, if anybody's listening on audio and can't see my face, it's a face of, okay, I'm going to try this. So I'm going to tell you something that happened to me too. I sent a really important email to someone last week and that needed a really imminent answer as in I really needed an answer and it bounced back at me. I am on annual leave until the 23rd of uh, July. And I, I immediately got cross with that person. I was like, Hi, yeah. what? I yeah. can't get them until the 23rd of that. To me, that feels like next year. That feels like next year. And yeah. I and I thought about it and I was like, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe someone that successful and that 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 like of that status is actually doing that. And you see this podcast today, maybe she knows you personally, I don't know, but I mean, I'm like fair play to her. She and actually it can Sinead, believe it or not, it can wait to the 23rd of July. Yeah. Thing and and I and I admire her and I'm like fair play to you and I hope she's having a great time doing what she's doing and I wish I could be more like her and I'm gonna try. I've never <laughs> I've never I've never put an email on my life that has bounced back to anyone. I answer it within a few hours and that is not. Do good. you, Caroline? Yes, it's not so bad. It's so bad. No, no, no. You see, and I keep hearing this inner critical voice that's, um, I suppose you're standardizing your behavior according to a flawed system that expects this instantaneous return all of the time. And that's not, that is just not something that is possible for everybody. I mean, and just because you've never done it doesn't mean that you can't in the future choose it. Um, and your reaction is really normal. Like it's that kind of like, and it starts in turn, like I don't know where it starts for you, but for lots of people, it starts in their stomach or they begin to get sweaty. They're like, the language comes, you know, um, and you kind of almost take it personally um, that this person is doing that. Now, I've I've evolved, so I'm self-employed um, and it's, it is really hard. But if I'm to practice what I preach, I would put on if I'm in the middle of a big project with a client, I would put that on my out of office and say I'm in the middle of a project with a big client. I will respond to your email on Monday or Friday. Wow. And, and, and I have to do that. Um, so. Because again, my business is a service-based business that relies on me. I have plenty of partners, like so I don't have a big staff, but I have I've one full-time person and then I have about 14 partners that work with me. 
on different elements of the business. So in order for me to be able to manage that and to be a mother and to be a partner, um, it has come to the point where now I'm like, okay, so I've actually worked this hard to get myself to this point. And if I don't deliver well, I'm going to ruin my business. So I need to just, other people can wait. And it's not a mark of disrespect to others because when it comes to them, I will do my best for them. So for example, yesterday, my little girl wasn't well, Karen and I were meant to chat and I, I, I pulled out last minute um, because it just I just couldn't, I had to go to my daughter's side. Um, she's fine today, but I understand that kind of your experience that might've been well, you know, and it may not have been and because you were totally understandable about it. You know, you did understand it and you were absolutely fine, but that is not always taken well by others. But it's when you kind of a bit like to kill a mockingbird. It's like when you walk in the shoes of somebody else, you begin to see things from a different perspective and through a different light. Um, and it, I think it's taken us four times to connect with each other for different reasons. I know. But look, I worth it. It's been you're going to change my life now. I'm going to be like... But I- <laughs> But I think the bravery and courage that you, from you asking these questions through through your own experience and your own perspective on the behalf of others is really important because you're not saying, oh God, I never do that. I'm perfect. You know, none of us are perfect. Um, I just did the book launch and did all that. And I had two weeks then where I actually physically couldn't do any. I, I ended up sick for two weeks because I didn't do the things that I needed to do, despite knowing what I needed to do. So we all do falter and fail at times. Um, because again, the system suggests that if I don't do it, I'll never get the chance again. And if I don't do it really well, I'll never get the chance again. And then the next thing is you're absolutely zonked and burnt out. Um, and burnt out is not the, f- I was unwell, I wasn't burnt out. Burnt out is a very different phenom- phenomenon. And I think that can be overused sometimes as well. Um, because burnout is not something that you recover from after some rest recovery and relaxation um, and the other thing probably I should point out Caroline and I'm, I'm, I'm going on I could talk about this stuff all day is the difference between relaxation and recreation and we don't often differentiate between those two things so relaxation is sitting down feet up scrolling through Netflix or you know it's literally panned out on the couch um, recreation is doing something that physically recreates you so you may not feel like doing it beforehand but after you have done it, you will feel better. So examples of that are, you know, an act of recreation is getting the sunlight in your eyes first thing in the morning. You don't feel like doing it, but over time you will feel the better for having done it. Getting that walking. Um, again, you mightn't want to do it. You mightn't feel like doing it. Other things might take the priority, but you will never regret or seldom will you regret having done it. Taking your annual leave and, um, Again, you mightn't feel like you can do it. You mightn't feel like you can give yourself permission, but seldom will you regret having done it. So they're acts of recreation. You can have rec- relaxation within it, but sometimes relaxation doesn't actually fuel us up again. It isn't rest recovery. And um, so, so it's important to think about your recreational activities as well as your relaxation activities. Okay. Yes. Cause I never feel like I want to go for a walk or go to the gym, but then like you said, I I'll never, ever, I never, ever regret it. And I feel better yeah. and energized. I know it's things, it's things that probably deep down we know, but people like you are helping out and it's going to take time and it's going to be a lo- a lifelong journey. Isn't it really? hundred percent. Yeah. And the thing about it is, as you say, others are watching, you know, so 
we're leading by example and we're I do really believe that this generation of workers that are in the workplace there's five generations of us but you know we actually are this cohort of workers irrespective of the generation that we're from are trailblazers because we're leading change we are through our actions changing what it means to have a career changing what it means to work changing what it means to lead um and we're refocusing a full system so um we are trailblazers and every small action of bravery and courage that we take to do something differently to activate that permission mindset and challenge the rules with curiosity makes it better for those that come behind and i think that's like when we think like that we go okay we really are pretty special actually you are pretty special do you have a podcast of your own no i don't but i am one I, I'm in the process of developing it. Um, yeah. Thank well, you. if you ever need any help, um, not that I'm any expert, but I've been doing the podcast as my passion now for the past few years. And I suppose because it's like what you've just said, people can listen to us and actually make positive changes in their lives. What? Why would you ever not do something like this? So I need to see the podcast from you coming soon because you've seen me and you could talk now for another hour. Like each topic could be explored in depth. So I'm going to get your book. My, my friends have it. They, I don't have it yet, but I'm going to get your book and hopefully Thanks. bring some more knowledge to the dig podcast community maybe we'll meet up again in the next series and explore Sinead um Sinead I always end maybe with something a wee bit lighter there's going to be people listening um who are stuck a wee bit stuck in their career and their world of work and in a kind of nutshell or any kind of message of inspiration to them because people have the fear of change and they're afraid to step outside what we've been conditioned to as you talk about any words of advice for anybody that's maybe stuck in their career or their workplace or their job so the job that you chose at 17 or the career that you chose at 17 or 18 um maybe the one that is the right one for you but if it's not and you're feeling stuck that's actually really normal we reckon we don't have all of the statistics but we reckon that is the experience of approximately 82 percent of the workplace 82 percent of people feel stuck at some stage in their career so i say to people whatever you did at 17 or 18 or whatever choice you met at that stage does not have to be the choice that you continue to be in. So it's it's a bit like saying that you buy a pair of shoes at 17 and never change your shoes again, irrespective of what you're doing, irrespective of where you're going, irrespective of the heat or the terrain or whatever. So it is okay to change. It is okay to change and it will take time to change. And the next change might not be perfect, but if you do something small, to think about how you could do something different you know there's loads of ways of doing it it's just about finding the way to do it so don't worry if you feel stuck it's a normal reaction you haven't been taught the skills of managing your career um, and learning those skills is really valuable to you now and if you do it you will reap the rewards in time and don't aim for perfect if you are happy and content 80 percent of the time with what you're doing 20% of the time it's not all fun and games that's okay and you can then begin to kind of put your one foot in the play, in in on the ground and look around and ask what could I do differently how could I transfer these skills that I have the skills come with you and you can learn the technical aspect of any role um that you want to do so true it's so true nobody's stuck and me and you are both showing that I used to be an occupational therapist before I am were you I know I know so and then That's I amazing I know and then I have my shop and then I had and my mom yeah. 
my mum cried. I always tell this because I was leaving my good job and in inverted commas and opening. Yes. Because she was conditioned that if you got your degree, you stayed there and you got your pension. And that's the old mindset that is not wrong, but it's definitely not one that I wanted to live my life by. So yes. so lots of people feel like because they went through that journey of getting like student loans and careers and all in inverted commas that they can't then diversify and do something creative or something that's not yeah. as a professional role. It's not about that. It's about happiness, right? Happiness. Yeah, happiness. And the thing is, we now have 12,000 different job families. And that doesn't account for the different roles within those job families. So, you know, when you were perhaps choosing your role as an occupational therapist, other options may not have been there, like a, a career in social media may not have been there, oh. a podcast, no. um, and the notion of that being something you could monetize. You know, really and truly, again, your mum was fearing for you. <laughs> but while her fears were, were great based on evidence from the past, they weren't based on the information in front of her that was now new and emerging so it's really brave to make that choice especially when somebody's so formative in your life has that like very emotional reaction so if you are thinking about going through change the people that you would like to get support from may not actually be the right people to turn to yeah you know I left the permanent pension job as well and I can relate totally my mother was absolutely beside herself um, and my granny, who's now 98, wore the knees out of her um, praying for me. So, ah! you know, it's just, yeah. So, but yes, it can be done. It can. I know. And you're giving us great insight and inspiration. And I think we just need to keep listening to people like you that can inspire us and give us the courage. So thank you for that. Sinead, where, can, where can people now, because they're all going to be one, where can we follow? How do we, how do people follow you? Tell us your handles, social handles and your website. Oh, thanks a million, Caroline. So I am the career psychologist on Instagram. So you'll find me at the career psychologist on Instagram. My website is a career to love.com. Um, and you'll find everything about me there. There is uh, actually I have a course on there for people that want to learn the skills of managing their career during this season of their life. But what's really important is that it's priced, um, you know, at a reasonable price. But if you can pay more, you you can 25% of that goes to developing a platform for educating children um, who are in primary school about their career about switching on and switching off and and whatnot so that will hopefully find way into the world this time next year um, wow. so a career to love and I'm the career psychologist but I'm not trying to sell that you know if it's something that benefits you brilliant if it doesn't I get that and you can get the book total career reset um or total reset and it's how to quit living to work and start working to live oh my god what we definitely all need to be doing because at the end of the day and I always say to myself if I die tomorrow god forbid nothing matters nothing and I I, I that's what I keep coming back to when I'm really stressed I'm like do you know what if I die tomorrow this does not matter and, and then that helps me cope actually you know it might be a very dramatic way to look at it but it's all no, of it's course. what I need to actually yeah. make me think about this yeah 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 and before we end like I just really like to say thank you to you um because your style is really open it's honest it's courageous and brave and um your sharing of yourself is not always easy to do either so um 
as somebody who's kind of contributing, I really appreciate that. So thank well, you. Thank you for saying that too, because sometimes I feel like I'm talking and talking and I'm like, am I making any sense here? But I do know that when we do talks like this, it can change people's lives and that will always make me want to do that. So, and it takes people like you as well that responds to my open nature and not like nearly die when I say things. So thank you for being on the same wavelength. And, no, just, not at all, and, for, and I'm glad we finally uh, uh, caught up and I'm hoping this isn't the last time. I don't think it will be. Yeah. So good luck with everything and uh, we'll see you on the Dig podcast again really soon. Thanks, Millie Caroline. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in to another week of the Dig podcast. In order for the podcast to grow, some people mightn't actually realise this, but it really helps if you follow the podcast so or subscribe. So depending on what platform you listen on, if you could take two seconds out of your time and go and either subscribe on YouTube, follow on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, and that just helps the podcast rank higher, the algorithm, you know, all the tacky things but also helps me have a further reach help more people and also be able to get more guests on the podcast too so don't underestimate that little follow or that subscribe I really really appreciate it I also love to hear if you find the podcast useful so let me know on social send me a DM on dig for success and also if you want a screenshot and share it with the rest of your audience I will do my best to reshare that on social as well I will see you all again next week. And until then, let's just keep taking those small steps every day to improving our businesses, but also just being happier, better people.